Welcome back to Following Know It On, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 61, and we're doing chapters 21 through 25 of Oathbringer. I almost said Words of Radiance. Oathbringer. <laughs> and this is the third book of the Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson. Got some Shalon content. Got a lot of Shalon content this week, actually. And a Kaladin chapter to keep up with our our Parshmen that are have awakened and a Dalinar present day chapter that we will be discussing. Elliot, we'll start with you. How are you? I'm good. There's some big chapters here. This was some really interesting stuff. This, I don't, it, this is maybe the, the hook of the book perhaps, but we'll, we'll see where it goes after this. But this was maybe some of the first chapters where, you know, and put it down. I had to keep flipping the the chapter. Maybe stayed up a little later than I should on a few nights reading. So th- this was some exciting stuff. Glad to hear it, Paul. I'm glad to be back. I hope everyone here is ready to watch. You know, another week of me powering through this story while Trevor tries to lead me astray. Um, but I'm ready. <laughs> I'm here. I'm well rested, so I can combat any of his nonsense. So. Ready to get going. Sounds sounds good. I for the <laughs> record, I do try to guide you more than I try to lead you astray. But I there is a fair share of leading you astray. I will not lie, but just for the just for the record, I I'm more helpful than I am hurtful. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh huh. Alright. Do we have two words to summarize this episode sixty one? Uh we'll start with Elliot. My my two words for this set of intriguing chapters are perspective and slimy. Perspective and slimy. I I know what slimy. I think I, I think I know what both of those are reference to actually. Slimy. Paul. Um, my two words this week are dormant and inverses. Like in the plural of inverse. Yeah, okay. Inverses. Torment yeah. and inverse. It could just be inverse. Like that would also inverse. work. There's <laughs> okay. no significance with it being plural. Yeah. All right. Let's use these four words and talk about Oathbringer. Elliot, go ahead with your word. Slimy, yes. I, I picked slimy because the creature thing, whatever we meet at the end of chapter 25, which I'm sure we're going to talk quite a bit about, left me with a very slimy sensation. It seemed very creepy, very oozy, very what the heck is this? But I also picked slimy for... Uh, a character we've met before who we're meeting again, and that's Mraes. And I'll talk more about it when we when we get to him, but he had a, a comment or a quote that moved him pretty solidly from, I'm not so sure about this guy, he seems bad, to, okay, yep, he's slimy. Okay. Paul? Oh, wait. Second word for Elliot. I'm getting hit on Yes, myself. sorry, I do I do have a second word. Second word was 
perspective. I picked perspective because I think a few of our characters are going through a bit of a perspective change in some of these chapters. And then also the the story that Shalon tells in chapter 25, the play, is kind of at the end of it, the moral of it, perhaps, if you will, seemed to be a little bit about perspective, the, the people who, I'm sure we'll talk more about it later, but the people who look at this wall that's holding out the the darkness on the other side, they think the wall is there to protect them. But in reality, when the girl gets to the top of it, she realizes it's the opposite, that it's the wall is to protect the outside world from them. And so this this flip of perspective and a couple of other characters as well too but i'll i'll touch on it when we go through the chapters sounds good paul uh for my two words this week at first of which is dormant uh for dormant i'm mostly referring to teravangian um you can look at it with some of our other characters as well but i feel like there's a great problem or power or just force to be reckoned with in general that's lying dormant right now um, and I think we know behind the curtain a little bit more about Teravangian um, and everything we see here. He's definitely on one of his not-so-bright days, um, as far as we can tell. Um, I'm really glad you good... said that second part, but keep going. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> um, and so th- there's got to be... A... It's safe to say that there's going to be a lot more to that. So I'm going to just say this is a problem that's kind of right in the middle of everyone right now. That's just kind of laying low. Nothing's happening right now, but it's definitely going to explode at one point. So dormant is mostly for that. Um, And inverses, or inverse, is my other word. And it's mostly off the topic of... We have seen our examples. We even talked about this in our previous episode. We've seen examples of good things. There's Knight's Radiant... Shardblades, Spren, all this stuff. And I feel like we're starting to see these kind of evil versions or kind of like an inverse of of these. I'm partly referring to our Void Spren. I have a theory, which I'll get to. I'm actually really excited about our little Uzi man, our little slimy guy at mm-hmm. the end. Um, just stuff like that where I feel like we're starting to see the opposites of our good forces of, of nature, if you will. Um, so yeah, that, that was my reasoning behind those words. Sounds, sounds good. I do want to touch, not actually, I'll save it. We have a spell check. We have a new, um, a new character has been introduced to us. A dust bringer as she is introduced, which that information is given to you by Teravangian, so take that with a grain of salt. But she's introduced to you as a as a dustbringer. Uh, Elliot, would you like to say say her name? Yes, I will. I will try. I I think I'm going to likely err on in the area of of emphasis on this word. I the sounds seem straightforward. How to emphasize it? I have no idea. So I'll. I think I'll I'll try with Malata as the pronunciation. Okay. The the way that I heard it in the audiobook, I believe, Trevor Gray corrects me, is Malata. Yes. 
Malata. I call her Malata. Yes, yes Malata, our dust bringer. Um, and for spelling Malata, I went pretty straightforward. I didn't try anything fancy. Um, but I went with M A L A T A. That is correct. You are. Man, this kid's spot on over around. here. I'm three in a row. Yeah, coming last week and this week. Yeah. They aren't our hardest words, but. We are, we are, we are getting there. So Paul, I here. will, I'll make this promise to you now. If we ever have some horn eaters coming into the, uh, coming into <laughs> the story in the future, those will be on the spell check. I promise. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure, and it's okay though because I am a master of horn eater names now. So, I've already done two of them. So, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've definitely got it under control. So that'll be great. Sounds good. I believe in you. All right. We can kind of talk about chapter 21 and 22 uh, together-ish. 21 is... Correct me if I'm wrong, but 21 is a scene where Adolin walks in to Shallan's room and Shallan's just getting over her crazy night of being Vale and chugging all sorts of different alcohols as we as we yep. talked about last week and Adeline is more impressed than than anything with her with her night gallivanting and talking to all sorts of ruffians and stuff in the tavern because Shalon quickly reminds him like he's he's concerned a little bit but Shalon quickly reminds him like I could get stabbed straight through the chest and I'm pretty sure I'd be totally fine and he's like oh yeah I guess that's true so at the same time, I gotta say, Adolin should be way more concerned here. I agree. Way more concerned. He he comes in clearly. She has just gotten you know completely wasted. She has a bottle of what everyone knows is dangerous moonshine that she's clearly drank the whole thing. And regardless of like her physical safety i i feel like if i was Adolin, i'd be incredibly worried about her you know emotional and, and mental state if right. she's you know if, if like i'd be walking in like is this a, a normal thing for you do you do you go off and do this regularly like yeah he he just doesn't even it doesn't even phase him that's true that's something i didn't actually think of uh elliot you, you make a great point of you know, Adeline can think a little realistically, like, okay, she is a knight radiant. She's not going to die by some normal means, you know, if someone tries to fight her, right? But is it definitely is it the right thing for her to just keep making these huge scenes all the time and putting her body through all that at grief and pain? Like, it's definitely not a good strategy to keep up, right? So... Yeah, maybe they should and, talk and, about it. And maybe Adolin likes to go and, and you know have crazy drinking nights with his buddies too. So maybe this isn't out of the realm of you know normal for him, perhaps. But yeah, I, it's definitely. I'd different. be way a little more concerned. I'd be more concerned than than Adolin is right now. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would chalk this up to a normal drinking night whenever she's stabbing other right. horn eaters through the hand and. You know, all the craziness that, that she did. 
Yeah. Speaking of giving things more consideration, which is, I totally agree, Adolin should be giving, like, maybe weighing his relationship with Shalon more than he actually is right now. But Shalon, that, and it's, this is just a part of, like, how it's written in the book. Shalon has an interesting point, and then she kind of just glosses over it. When when Shalon talks to Adolin and she's like, oh man, if only you had some stormlight. And he pulls out a sphere and she's think she thinks to herself, wait, it's been weeks since the last high storm. And this, the sphere should have gone done by now. And then we kind of just move on. Like, did you guys catch this? What Shalon thinks to herself, like, man, even this, sphere should be like way like way way done by now why is this still infused and then we just move on like there isn't really any explanation for that she doesn't ask like hey has this been like specially kept or something or there aren't what are the rules here she hasn't she doesn't ask or anything she's like oh okay whatever i did note that i put a big question mark next to it in my notes because I couldn't tell if that was supposed to be a hint towards something or if it was oh, not that important, but that did strike me as strange. It, where did Adolin get this sphere from? It, I think he said specifically that he got it from Dalinar. And so, yeah, does Dalinar have a secret stash of Stormlight somewhere? That... Or... Does his relationship with the Stormfather somehow allow him to like get direct infusion from the Stormfather? I I don't know if I'm supposed to be thinking about this or not, but I did note this as like uh-huh in my notes. Just so I have this straight also. So wasn't the night before that Shalon was doing all this stuff and she had lit spheres, right? Wouldn't it be like all these spheres are Yes. Done, or is it like this night it was supposed to roll over? I feel like that doesn't make that much sense, because the night before she had a bunch of infused spheres she was taking in breath from. She's not... Taking in light from. Yeah, she's not specifically thinking about the sphere that Adolin's giving her. She's just thinking in general, like, wait, shouldn't all of our spheres be done by now because of the because of the time frame here? So... Did the Everstorm kind of, like, super supercharge our spheres? Does time run differently in Eurythiru? Does Eurythiru keep f- keep spheres infused? Yes. I'll, You're right. I'll, <laughs> clearly. All all interesting questions. All from, you know, in classic Brandon Sanderson style, all from one just offhand, you know, one liner that Shalon doesn't even pause on it. Oh, shouldn't all the spheres have run out? We we have to spin off all these questions off of one just odd comment. Yeah. I as a first time reader, I definitely picked that up because coming out of Words of Radiance, or actually even way back in the Way of Kings, when you're beginning to learn about Stormlight and the High Storm and how Stormlight works, I always thought that okay, Brandon Sanderson's setting up a really interesting uh, limitation to his um, to his magic system here of oh so the weeping is going to be the night's radiance 
like you know weak spot where the mice radiant are super powerful and then the when the weeping happens the you know that's when that's when trouble's going to strike and that does happen he just doesn't really use it to, to like in his story like back in words of radiance yes the weeping happened but he didn't really use it as a as a device to limit Kaladin. He kind of just like, oh, and there's a high storm, so Kaladin's fine. But at this point, we don't have high storms, or at least there's a there's high storm coming in the next chapter. Spoilers. <laughs> um, and we we've gone through this whole thing, and our Knights Radiant haven't really been limited besides limiting the Oathgate uh, usage. That's really been our only mention of it. So, I don't know. I always thought that was an interesting thing. Of that, he sets up a really cool limitation for his knight's radiant, and he hasn't hasn't really used it yet. It, but it, and it does lead us to the interesting question of: Do the rules work differently in your theory? Is it something about the location that's affecting this, or is it something different? That that's kind of my question out of that. Another thing I wanted to talk about in this chapter, as Adolin and, and Shalon are, are talking, or as they move on and they start to go over to visit Eli, uh, Adolin actually gives Shalon a little bit of a lesson in leadership, which I thought was great. And go and they pick up Shalon's guards, you know, the, the mercenaries that Shalon, you know, kind of picked up and said, hey, you're going to be good people. And so far, they've they've been good people. They seem to have served Shalon really well. And Adolin's like, well, what have you had have them been doing this whole time? And Shalon says, uh, nothing. And Adolin kind of scolds her for that and, and points out, you know, hey, you, you, can't, you can't do that. You have to give men honorable tasks to do. Otherwise, they'll, you know, get bored or not care. They, they need to have something productive to do. And that's 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 super true and and a really good you know little leadership moment there from from Adolin of all people which I thought was kind of cool and Shalon even kind of notes like oh you're starting to sound like your father here which it was it was a cool little moment I liked it I do want to I do want to stop on this as well because I think this is really cool writing uh like this is really it shows the strength of Brandon Sanderson's writing. I'll say it that way of it brings to life Adolin as a character because this, you could hear it in a dialogue of this is clearly a, a lesson that Dalinar has given Adolin and Adolin is reciprocating it as, Oh, this is truth because Dalinar said it, you know? And it like, it is true that you need to give, give men tasks and, but the whole the whole way he approaches it is like, oh well, this is a bodyguard thing, and it's not really about them protecting you; it's about giving them something to do. And as this is presented, it's totally it, you can totally see a conversation of Dalinar giving Adolin a lesson on this specific thing. And so, I just think it's really cool that through this, it brings the whole brings the characters to life more because it makes you think of a conversation that hasn't like hasn't happened on on the page or on screen or whatever you want to say there but the way it's set up this conversation definitely happened so 
Yeah, I agree. I am really curious to hear Elliot's thoughts. Moving forward just a little bit, um, kind of at the beginning of, of our next chapter, 22, still with Shalon, um, we see Marais again, and, and we see this this meeting between Adolin and Shalon, and Marais and El, Eli, ELA. ELA. Um, yes, ELA. Um, which also just really is a perfect palindrome, but... It is. It's blasphemous. It's as, as they True. say. I was also just, this isn't too important, but I, I think it's funny that this private palindrome is next to Marais, because I think Marais may be one of our least <laughs> even trying yeah. to be a palindrome names yep. that we've ever seen. Uh, so it just gives me bad boy energy. You know, <laughs> Marais. Um, he just doesn't, he's not even trying like our other characters. You're just sort of close. Um, I'm I'm curious to to hear a little bit. So I I'm in almost a boat that we, in contrast to our first book, I feel like we have too many villains almost right now. There okay. are too many things on the horizon. This isn't a bad thing, but it's just like, what do I think? What do I worry about? Who's gonna actually become a relevant bad guy first? Um, I I wanted to start writing it down, but I, I didn't really get to it. Just like who our bad guys are, I'm gonna go ahead and put like Mraes and and Ela on there as just antagonists in general. We've got our they're not that relevant right now, but I'm gonna go and throw them in there like the the sleepless right, our Mister Crumbling Man. Okay. Uh, we've got the Voidbringers. We've got um these Odium. Yes, we've got Odium. We've got these like. What are they? The e- I forget what they're called. The unmade. We've got yep. the unmade. We've got our new little void sprin. Maybe it's in the same category there. Um, the the ghost bloods as a whole. That's probably connected to Marais. We've you're missing a big one. Our little uh floppy man at the end. Ever right. well, like Tervangian. Zeth, Teravangian. Um, okay, you're missing another our other one. E- Our other evil herald, Skybreaker gang. Who's our... Um, all right, who's Kaladin's biggest villain? A- a- just Amaram. He's kind of right. coming back on the scene a little bit here. Do you remember... Because Amaram knows more than... We we we've but like we, we've gotten hints, but Amram definitely is more involved than we know. He had all those charts and yep. stuff like that. Yep. We've got it could be a very small detail. It could be not important, but we've got our murderer murder mystery at the moment. Um, needless to say that there's just a lot of a lot of bad stuff going on, and I, I don't even know what to think about at this point. And I, I'm curious to ask you, Elliot. I guess like. Just reading this, do you think Marais is actually like a big, a big worry? Like, is he kind of one of our lesser villains that maybe thwarted this part or next part of the book, or is he going to become a big, a big major antagonist? Um, because I feel like they can't all be this big 
antagonist, right? They can't all be um that stuff. Also, one I forgot to mention was our big spindly leg guy in the high storm. Those big beasts. So um, anyways. Okay. It's it's a really good question, and I'm with you, Paul. You know, we just easily named off a dozen people or or entities that could be or you know are in the category of villain. You know, and yeah, how do we sort between okay, who are we fighting against, and who are just like the 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 you know obnoxious side villains of the okay, they're not on the side of our protagonist, but they're not the big you know who we're necessarily fighting against. Yeah, tough to categorize. I think my answer to your question about Moray's changes based on this chapter. And when I say this chapter, I mean chapter 22. Prior to this, I would have said Moray's is a powerful figure in the Ghostbloods who are just out to, you know, be important people in the world. They want to be shaping the events of Roshar. They happen to do it in rather callous ways. You know, they're going to go and assassinate Yasno without thinking too much about that. They they clearly use evil methods, but I I wasn't ready to quite categorize them as, you know, they're out for the destruction of everything good yet. But then Moraes says something in this chapter. I'll, I'll go ahead and just read it. He says this, Morality is an axis that doesn't interest us. Only loyalty and power are relevant, for morality is, a, is as ephemeral as the changing weather. It depends upon the angle from which you view it. You will see as you work with us that I am right. And it's kind of a casual reference there to, oh yeah, right or wrong, I don't really care about that. It's, it's just power and influence, and you'll see why. And you could kind of write that off of as, you know, okay, he's just out for himself, but the very fact that he writes off morality and clearly says, I don't care about what's right. Full stop for me right there. He's now a villain that, that, that puts him in the realm of, Oh, if you don't even care what is right and what is wrong, that alone makes you worth opposing as, you know, as a good guy. If I'm a good guy who cares about what's doing right for the people of Roshar, and you have just stated, do whatever it takes because you don't even want to think about what's right or what's wrong. That's kind of the definition of a villain. That that's a very common, I think, motive for villains. So I, I just bumped Moray's up quite a bit on our hierarchy of of villains. I don't, he's you know perhaps even above like a like a Sadius or. Um, an Amaram for me. And those folks, you know, we've, we, we know their motives, but they're not necessarily, I'm out to destroy the world. They're just kind of out for themselves so far that we've seen, they're, they're willing to trot on others to get what they want. Moraes is now above that in, this could be a master villain type. That's, that's where I'm leaning. If that answers your question. That does, that does. I, I'll be honest and say that I'm, I'm a little bit surprised. I, I just, I, I wasn't thinking him as a real lesser lesser villain, but just I, yeah. I was surprised when you put him above kind of Sadius and Amram, which I understand your reasoning. That makes a lot of sense that he is very much like a there's nothing like morality it's, doesn't matter. Yeah, the difference is right. at least Sadius and Amram think they're doing the right thing, like in their own mm -hmm, twisted exactly, way. Yes. They they're motivated in their own way. Marais explicitly said i don't care doesn't care yeah yep mm -hmm. exactly 
Yes, that that makes total sense, and I get that. I didn't actually think about that too much. Um, also, just another clarifying question: Was it Marais who was with? What was his name? Are other bridgemen that kind of went evil a little bit at the end of Words of Radiance? Moash had tried to assassinate. Yeah, was he the one with Moash, or was no. it the? Okay, I don't know why I was thinking of them as the same. It was what was his name? Bones or something like that. Bones. <laughs> Maybe I'm, <laughs> I'm really <laughs> off. I don't think I said anything. What was the guy's name? Hold on. Graves. <laughs> Graves. Graves. <laughs> Yes. Bones, Bones graves. graves, same thing, same thing. What the- okay, did you actually get there from graves? Like, is in your mind where you're like, yeah, bones are great. Like, is, was that how you got there? I didn't there? remember his name, and I thought that's like I was trying to remember the name, and I was like, I think it's Bones. Like, I literally thought it was like that was his name, but it was Graves. I'm sorry. Okay. Anyways, I don't know why, but I guess I thought of Graves as being like Murray's. They're they're very different. So I've actually yeah. mentioned this before, and I've said this before that those are two different people because that's a very common mm-hmm. thing to do is actually meld those two people together. And I don't know why, but a lot of people do that. So you're not alone, Paul. That Cause... okay, <laughs> I may have been alone in calling him Bones, but uh... <laughs> well, <laughs> but there's the character getting him mixed up. Yeah. Their mannerisms are a little similar, and their names sound rather similar, right? Mm-hmm. Rays and Graves. I, I yeah, totally could see it. and Bones. I, yeah, very similar. Yeah. <laughs> we, we talked about this, though, right back when we were meeting him. I think we determined he was not a ghost blood, right? He's Correct. got other interesting... Oh, it was Teravangian, right? He ties back to Teravangian. Correct. He ties to the diagram, is what, they, right. is what they call themselves, the diagram. Speaking of which, that's actually funny you mentioned that because that was about to be a comparison I was going to make. Because we have so many villains, or potentially like big or small, still yet to be determined, bad guys, I think a lot of them are going to be way more connected than we're seeing. Um, and one of which is I think that Marais is somehow going to be connected with Teravangian, just kind of off of the... Uh, Oh, maybe maybe I'm off on this. I was thinking of Teravangian in the sense of, like, working towards a goal, but it doesn't matter what you do to get there, right? Thinking about how he, like, collects these words that people yep. say, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of how we've seen Teravangian as a villain. I think I was going to make a, that comparison there. That's so a- I threw out a really bold prediction that I don't know if that was what I really meant. Whoops. <laughs> I don't know that Marais and Teravangian are in cahoots, but uh, I was going to make that comparison there. Because we know Teravangian has a whole lot of stuff, and I would consider him to be one of our major villains. We haven't f- seen the full extent of it yet, but we know that there's a lot lying dormant there. Um but yeah, I guess my my initial read through, I wasn't thinking of Marais as that big of a deal. I think of him almost as kind of not a not a not like a henchman, but just like a I don't know, like the like the I th- almost think of ELA as a more like villainous person. He she is like the saddiest, but I think of Marais as kind of the like 
the one he she's going to send to go fight and do the dirty work, I guess, in that sense. It's um, kind keep, of more of a pawn, but on a high this, scale. Keep this uh, in in the back of your head, though, Paul. Murray specifically says that Ile is not a ghost blood. Just because he's there undercover, like, as Ile's, like, one of Sadius's guards, that's just his his alias, if you will, to get into your theory is like, he's not really associated with ELA. He's just one of her bodyguards to be there as a ghost blood, not working with ELA. I'm sure that's what the ghost bloods would say, Trevor. True. <laughs> they would be like, no, 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 no. She's not a ghost blood. I promise. I promise on my ghost blood honor, you know, yeah, like exactly. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm poking fun there because I, I, I believe you with that. Um, that Eli may not be in on it, but there could definitely there's there's a lot of devious things going on that I could definitely see them being more interconnected than we're seeing right now. So that's what's going on in my mind is maybe how are villains going to come to fruition, or how how is that going to be resolved at some point? And, and I'm with you, Paul, in that I still have kind of Moray's sort of mentally categorized as like third party if you will he's not necessarily actively working against our our heroes so he doesn't you know maybe necessarily fit into like an antagonist sort of role yet but just the what we've learned about him here makes me know that i can't trust him you know he he's that third kind of unknown party who maybe at the end of the day is going to side with the villains maybe at the end of the day is going to side with the heroes but if if morality is not a a motivator for him if he doesn't care all he's out for is power that tells me he's never going to be really on the side of the good guys that's a simplistic way i think to that that my brain is thinking about it one the last thing that i will say about Murray's is at kind of the end of the conversation it, it made me think that Murray's is more powerful or has more going on than I may have initially thought in that he knows what Shalon was doing with the whole bar fiasco that happened and, and that he she used the the ghost blood symbol and, and all that stuff and, and just calls her out for that which was definitely a wake up call for Shalon or she's a little confused I'm a little confused if not really <laughs> confused um, about that and how he knows and Maybe how expansive his network or reach is, or his ability to to see. Like, how did he know? He's also dropped some comments that imply quite a bit of knowledge about the Knights Radiant. I know we saw that earlier, where he seems to automatically know quite a bit about Shalon's powers and other powers. Like, I I agree. I think this guy might be quite a bit more powerful than we've even seen so far maybe and that's and that's by design from him right like he he drops these one-liners on purpose in front of shalon to say like i know things and you need me because you need to know these things so he's i i just view him as a bully really like he wants he wants power and he wants what like whatever his motives are and he's going to use whoever and whatever to get it. And so right now it's 
manipulating one of our knights radiant and like at the end of this conversation he just says her brother's name like just straight up blackmail and says i know things about your brother so keep working with me and i'll tell you like that's just kind of who he is and he gives shalon an interesting assignment i guess and that again this seems to be a very powerful very knowledgeable person and yet goes to Shalon to say, hey, there's this darkness, just this ominous, not quite sure what he's referring to there, darkness in your Ethiru. Hey, can you can you figure out what that is and uh yeah, get rid of it for us all? Like, I mean, no biggie, you know. I, I kind of was a little like, wait, you want to you want to do what? Like cleanse this whole tower of darkness? You know, what, what kind of task is that? It's an interesting task in the context of our chapter coming up, but... Indeed. We'll get there shortly. We've got to talk about Kaladin briefly. I'm a little sad that we're going to push through this chapter pretty quick. There's not much to talk about here unless you guys have something specific you want to talk about. But I'm a little sad because this chapter is one of my favorites in the, in the early parts of Oathbringer here because it's very... I don't know what it is about this chapter, but it's 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 very vivid in my mind of like I, I I don't know what it is about like Kaladin and Syl and he's talking to this waystop guy, but I remember this scene like really really well. It's, I don't know, it's just one of my favorite scenes. It's very very nice. I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> <laughs> you like it? I do. Yes. It's just, you know, Kaladin talking to this Waystop guy and about the the state of the world. Don't kill my boars because they'll be poaching, that type of thing. Just random, random stuff. Anyway, important things. Anyone have important things from this chapter? I think my main takeaways from this chapter was Kaladin's interaction with the yellow spren lady. And yep. we get to see and meet her, which I'm now kind of mentally picturing her as the the anti Sill. She's the like the the opposite of of Sill, which that probably is not a, a very accurate description of what she is at all. But that's just kind of the role she's slotting into in my my brain. So now we we have like the the angel on Kaladin's shoulder, and now the the devil or whatever on the other side. But I. We'll learn more, I'm sure. And we honestly don't learn a whole lot here other than kind of a description of what she looks like. I did think the description was kind of interesting. It's, I don't know, there's not really much we can take away from it. it yeah. She kind of, like, when it says when our, our yellow sprint here walks, it's like a pillar, kind of like a column, comes up to, like, meet her feet with every step, yeah. which I thought was kind of cool. Like, that just sounds cool. And she's described as looking like Shin, like like from Shinovar, which I yeah. thought was interesting. I didn't know what to make of that. I'm if we're making our comparison, which we've touched on before, where there's like in the cognitive realm or where our sprinter from in Shadesmar, all that stuff, that there are regions like in Roshar. Like, is this she's Shin in Shadesmore? Is she from that group? Is 
they're a separate Shin group? Maybe, possibly. Or does she just look like she, like they could not be related at all? It could not be a real correlation. Um, but I'm I'm curious. I'm also curious to find out because I feel like we've had a glimpse at some like evil spren before that were described as like spren like red lightning, mm-hmm. and this yeah. is very different. This is a yellow ribbon of light, and I, I'm not. I'm I'm a little confused. Are there multiple? Evil spring, which would be make sense, but I, I just don't I don't know how much evil spring we're talking about. I was kind of guessing that there'd be one type that's like the evil spring. Um, this isn't a real. I don't have anything to to go off of this prediction other than I'm really curious. But our new night radiant that's been introduced, Malata, Malata, we haven't seen her spren but I'm kind of curious just knowing that Teravangian I feel like is a problem a much larger problem waiting to happen that what if she has the same kind of spren and what if that becomes an issue later if Kaladin comes back and is like hold on you have a void spren like this may be concerning from info we find out right that's that's very I'm grasping at straws that will probably be debunked in the next chapter I read <laughs> um, but it just got my mind, my my little wheels turning, and I'm I'm curious to, to learn about our new sprint here, and I'm also very curious to see what sprint a Dustbringer has. We have a Dustbringer on the scene now, which apparently they don't like to be called Dustbringers. The the sprint do, which reminded me of our cryptics, yeah, with Shalon. So. I don't know if anyone can take it away. <laughs> I kind of just went on and didn't really my, leave out a question or anything. But No, you're fine. Um, my my main takeaway from this, especially as a first-time reader, was what the what the Sprens tells Kaladin. And Kaladin's clarifying questions here. If, if you want to fight for us, we would certainly take you. And that surprised me as a reader of like, oh, well, I guess the the spren behind waking up of the of the parchman don't care what race you are. If you want to work for them, then they're certainly open to that. Now, obviously, they wouldn't take him if they saw him glowing with stormlight. Or would they? That's a rabbit trail, I'm Trevor. <laughs> I'm cutting you off here. I'm cutting you off. The the red herring right there. The mm-hmm. path or, or the bait we're not supposed to take. Because he hasn't he hasn't really sucked in any stormlight or anything. I don't think I'm pretty convinced no one has seen. We do see just with his with his conversation with our void sprint here. She is kind of like congratulations on fooling the parchment. They're like very young. She's like I'm more than a couple months old, and is very like ambiguous and like I know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So she, our, our sprint, probably knows or may know. I think we can imply a few things from this, though. If 
we can take what this sprint is saying at face value, I think it does because they, if they would be willing to take on a human or a lethe, however you want to categorize Kaladin, at, into their army, that does tell us that their ultimate goal is not something like get all these Parshmen to level up and achieve like Parshendi storm form. Like if that's the goal is to awaken all the Parshmen, get them into storm form so we can conquer the world. Paladin doesn't really fit into that. Like the, here's right. a random human. He can't do that. So you could perhaps jump to the conclusion that that's not the motive, but if they're just looking for any and all soldiers they can find, we still seem to be in the motive of destruction. Like they, they want an army. These, right. You could make guess that, okay, if they're looking for soldiers, they're bringing these parchment in to become soldiers. The only reason you need a whole bunch of soldiers is if you're going to attack somebody or defend yourself from somebody, I suppose. But the, yeah, I, I guess that's a few thoughts we can maybe try to jump to from the little bit of information this spread gives here. Yeah, if, like, if you want to take that to the extreme, if the, whatever, the storm spread or whatever, if their motive is complete parchment domination, human extinction, like, if that's, if that's their right. motive, why is she just not killing Kaladin on the spot, you know, um, if she has the ability or whatever. So, the, it's probably not that drastic, um, because she's willing to work with Kaladin here, so. But that's, of course, all assuming that this Spren is even, you know, telling the truth and, you know, speaking honestly here. It could also be have much more devious motives here and be trying to manipulate or, you know, trick Kaladin or something. So who knows? Maybe we're making some assumptions, some bad assumptions here. I'm sure we'll find out.